0: It's my job to destabilize, to disrupt, so that people have to question and become curious about learning about a way to think about things.
1: What would you say, Carol? Repartnering, like learning from? No. Being in process as nature is in process? How would you put it?
0: What you just did is made us separate. Uh, One of the things that also drives me crazy is people talking about, I'm trying to figure out my life purpose. You know what I say to them? You do not have one. Hard to do an interview with me, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Oh, it's a nightmare. well hello there greetings and welcome on back to the making permaculture stronger podcast episode number 19 and i tell you this conversation is an absolute firecracker like i'm st- it was like six or seven hours ago i'm still kind of buzzing and my mind is still kind of reorganizing itself around so much of what was discussed my guest is carol sanford a radical disruptive. Contrarian, as you'll soon find out, doing fantastic work, uh, part of an incredible community, uh, an advocate of what she calls living systems thinking, which has so much to offer permaculture. And she does a bunch of stuff in collaboration with permaculturists. And just gig, <laughs> let's dive on in and enjoy. And I'll join you again at the end and give you some links to her work and um, tell you what's going on with making permaculture stronger in general and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so here I am. uh, Very excited today to be in conversation with Carol Sanford. Thank you for joining me, Carol.
0: Glad to do
1: so, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. I kind of find you this intriguing, enigmatic figure. You know, you're you're a radical contrarian, Mm -hmm. um, a deep thinker. Listening to some of your stuff, it it occurred to me that you're an essence diviner, and I had this image of you as being able to help people find these kind of uh, slivers or cracks of potential that are invisible to the naked eye and then somehow kind of blast them open and work with people sometimes even to suck whole companies through them. I we're, like we're,
0: that image. <laughs>
1: oh, great. Yeah. And we, we're like, it's in some ways it's like making the impossible possible where everyone wins, you know, so in a company that yeah. the customers are winning, the workers at all levels are winning. The earth is winning that, the investors are winning.
0: I'm not sure win is even a good metaphor. I didn't. Nothing wins because if there's a win, there's a loss. It's like everything is more alive. And I can't take credit. I mean, I love your generosity about the way I work, but uh, it's always a co-creative process. And I'm very picky about who I work with because it does take a pretty uh, in-depth, systemic, l- longer view or deeper view is probably better way to say it. So I love what I do. <laughs> that I much can- I know.
1: I can see that. You know, I love the feeling, as we'll explore during our chat, you talk about things like essence and potential, and I get the feeling from your own energy in your podcasts and writings, it's like, well, you're walking the talk, you know, it's happening for you. I want to share, you know, of Ethan Soloviev, initially Ethan Rowland. So Ethan Ward? He's a permaculture. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. He's done some cool stuff. right, yeah, right. Yeah. We've been in touch because we got into permaculture at a similar time, 15, 16 years ago. And I remember one time and I went back and found it, and I'm sure it would be happy for me to share this. He said that working with Carol Sanford has been unbelievable, disruptive, difficult, very, very regenerative. His school was amazing. Ever since I read those words, I was like, wow,
0: Carol <laughs> Sanford.
1: I'm going to check Carol Sanford out. All righty, so... Maybe we can save time on further introductions. I can fill some stuff in later and and list off the books and a bunch of websites and some of the things you do and places to to find out more. My main intention for today is to have a conversation around this project I've been working with for uh, three and a half years or so called Making Permaculture Stronger to have that conversation benefit from your input. Okay. I'd love to start with drawing out and clarifying this distinction between systems thinking, as it's Mm -hmm. usually understood, and what you call living systems thinking. Right. I get so excited when I re- hear you talking about this and re- read you writing about it because I've come to a similar awareness uh, in my own work, but it was a lot more vague. And to see you referring to it so clearly has been amazing. So maybe I'll I'll share where I got to with it, and then we can have your comment. So a core theme of my work has been working with permaculture, which is ostensibly all about partnering with living systems.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I've noticed though is that we so often default inside and outside permaculture to ways of seeing and ways of being in process that as far as i can tell come from more of a mechanical perspective than a living systems perspective so the way i sort of see it is a lot of what's called systems thinking actually still starts with the idea of separate objects or elements
0: right
1: and then it just it brings the emphasis though to the links and flows the relationships between them and then talks about emergence and the pithy statement about the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and all that. From this place, when we come to create something new, we default to the idea of assembling parts to create the whole. As if we can build a whole living system, something like we'd build a, a Lego construction, which is we both know, that doesn't work. Another example is the idea of design process itself as a linear sequence. So there's something that we could put into a flowchart. I, I, and I followed that up, and I, I'd be curious to come to the topic of feedback later, which I know you've written a book about recently, which originates in a cybernetic mechanical context also, but mm-hmm. I, I discovered the whole idea of a flowchart comes from the factory floor, you know, the idea of the machine separate from the next machine by conveyor belt, and we think about design process in that way, Right. and a big, a big break there is that this idea of master planning, where we do the planning or the designing... And then we kind of put that little master plan on the conveyor belt and that goes out to the implementation team where there's a separation between the thinking and the doing or the designing and the implementing, which again, we both know doesn't work when you're working with living systems. And yet these understandings kind of sneak in to domains like permaculture and to me contradict the essence of what it's all about. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to see you honing in on that and bringing that to your work. And I was just wondering if you could comment on, on that distinction between
0: systems thinking and living systems thinking. It's really helpful to actually understand how this happened, because it a lot of it came out of using the Industrial Revolution and the building of machines, which were not cybernetic at that point. They were analog, you know, ran along a line. And then as it became a powerhouse in this country and in Europe particularly, people wanted to be able to be like the machine. And our education system was established about the same time, and it was done with exactly the same model. It's like a production line. And the way production lines are made is they're made up of, as you said, parts that run progressively in one direction. So when you get a school system that's behind the entire process, then every education process is like that, and every it then spills over into... All the work systems that are in not for profits and eventually into families. Now, there's one thing you didn't speak to, but it really helps understand the disaster that this had created, which is once machines, we were enamored of them and couldn't imagine doing anything else. It was discovered that they didn't work as well for trying to control people. And there was a guy named John Watson who came in and said, Well, of course, they're not, people are not machines. They're, they're, they are controllable in the same way. And if you'll give me money, I'll go build a lab here at Johns Hopkins, and I'll develop a way, and I guarantee you, you will be able to control your people very shortly thereafter the way machines do. And that, John Watson is the founder of behaviorism, and of course, what he did is when studied rats, and so if you manage and work with rats, his theories are great. If you don't, they're not. So even he, when he was studying a life form, you know, went from machine to something that's alive, He segmented it out from its ability to function as a a living creature and so we have two sets of theories that cause us to fragment and to linearize and to see everything as problems. That's the other thing that happened out of this is we cannot imagine working on anything without first defining its problem. And that's part of every research project. It's part of every doctoral dissertation. And so the mindset that not only is it fragmented, but now you've got to find a part of that that has a problem. And now you narrow in on that and you discover a solution. Living systems do not have problems. I I dare you to show me a forest that is sitting around in some session, or I grew up a lot in farming and then I was married to a forester, where. I used to tease my husband all the time, and I said, well, what what does the forest say is the biggest problem? He'd laugh at me because the problem-solving mind is the fragmenting mind. So living systems, instead, are looking at the interactive, dynamic nature of that which it takes for the whole to profit and evolve. And that process doesn't have any such thing as any part winning, because even your terms, win, 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 that's a fragmented idea. This wins, that wins, that wins. Well, there's, there's no winner or loser. The whole system goes down when any section of it does. So how in the world do you get to living systems? You would want them to know the answer to that, right? How do you get from this fragmented? Um, I'm sorry to tell people that it's not a list of things you can go do and then you're no longer doing the fragmented part and the machine version and now you're doing living. You actually have to build a different mind we have done so much damage to our way of seeing the world our perspective our paradigm we hold that we literally cannot conceive of it so when i say to people watch something alive in your mind like watch a frog and people think in order to understand it a frog you have to cut it up put the names on it name what each part did and so how that would add up what you do to understand a frog, if you can't go into a forest or a pond or something and be frog-like, is you literally have to image it working in context. We don't have a mind that can do that. We can't image things alive and dynamic and changing it. There is also no transactional nature within any of those living systems. You have to see how the systemic effect is happening. Now, I'll be happy to describe to you, and I've got a big part of this in the the book that's not out yet, the one you don't have, number five, which is the regenerative human about how you go about building that mind and how I learned this from my half Mohawk grandfather. You know, he grew up for a very brief time on a reservation in Oklahoma, which is another long story about how in the world a Mohawk from the Northeast got into Oklahoma, but that process of learning To see the world differently requires being raised differently or else getting immersed in it. And of course, I do that with companies because a company can't actually understand its clients, customers, unless it can understand them in the context of the ecosystem they are in and the ecosystem which they're a part of. Part's not a good word. Part is a fragmented word. So you have to watch yourself all the time, right? So it's an aspect or it's a window and words are a good way to catch yourself. But you have to spend time learning, and if you want to hear about that, I'd be glad to describe at some point what are the principles and the way you go about learning to see a living system. But you were right on.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Oh, I would love that so much. Oh, yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm feeling this excitement building. So you probably don't know this. I, I, I was at university. I like, was it 15 years or something, I, I, and I had a PhD in psychology. And I started with with Watson. And of then course. I got, I got into B.F. Skinner, and for a time, I was actually a I'm embarrassed to admit this to you, Carol said, but I was a fan of B.F. Skinner.
0: Well, almost all of us were. When I entered, I worked on a doctorate in psychology too, and uh-huh. I went in the cognitive direction, but yep. you had to start, you had to do you know, a survey of everything. Yep. And I remember when we were studying John, well, of course, by then it was B.F. Skinner, most of us we were studying. Who remembers yep. John Watson. And I remember at the time, an internal part of me rebelling, but I wanted to get my doctorate. I took the courses. You did what you had to do, except when it came to doing my dissertation, I got in tons of trouble over and over again because I could not do the behavioral view, which is the way most science is defined now. Well, you're a recovered behavioralist.
1: That's right. Yeah, I, was, I just had a flashback. I, I got an interesting conversation with a cognitive psychologist on, on a boat on a ferry once because I was wearing a t-shirt that I had made up. And on the front, it said something like, behaviorism is better. And on the back, it said, I'm with Skinner. <laughs> and I, I did a third year project on chickens instead of rats. They were using chickens in this perspective for the reinforcement. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but that wore off pretty fast. And the way I tend to work is I immerse in something deeply and then find its edges and its cracks and it falls away and, and get onto the next thing. One one person I ended up having a lot of respect for was John Dewey, the American philosopher who sure. In 1896, he wrote that article on the reflex art concept in psychology, where he was he was striving towards a more authentically holistic approach, where rather than saying stimulus and response, because I mean we might come back to this later on. Actually, one thing I, I realised in my my time with psychology was that psychology, when it started, was a it was posturing as a science, right? And it was a young science, and the pressure right. was on because physics had already was years ahead, biology was years ahead. So it kind of had pressure to measure up and deliver the goods and and, and prove that it was a science, science to its older siblings. And one thing it did was took the fatal shortcut of rather than developing the concepts, methodologies, processes, even units that were appropriate to its own unique subject matter, it imported them from outside. So it ended up with like ideas of mechanical causation from Physics and, and in particular from biology, the idea of stimulus and response, which is what right. Watson, in, in a sense, was the Well,
0: person. my last book that came out in December at the end of last year, six months ago, is called No More Feedback Cultivate Consciousness at Work. And what I did is went and looked at the history of how feedback got into our system, and it came in exactly where you're talking about. Something called the Macy conferences, which were primarily physics scientists, a few other sciences, not not many earth sciences, but uh, or excuse me, biological sciences, mostly earth, but the psychologists showed up for exactly the reason you said they wanted to, and they had no ground to stand on. And so all of the ideas that came out of physics, which feedback does, I mean, feedback is literally the process of working with a governor on a a production something, spewing oil, whatever, that you get, it gets feedback, the governor gets triggered, and it shuts off an overflow. Well, just image, that's exactly what you're trying to do usually when you talk to people. I'm going to give you feedback. or give I tell people feedback is the, it doesn't even work with rats, which are alive. It is the thing that works with machines. And it all came about because psychologists had no foundation, and so they adopted completely the physics descriptions. And out of it came the writings, and their names were on it, all of the psychologists at the time. Mm-hmm. Until the human potential movement reacted not only against the behavioralists, but also against this idea that people were like machines.
1: Mm, Yeah, fascinating. I remember the Macy, I followed, you know, looked back through that with Margaret Mead, Gregory Bates and Ashby, Norbert Wiener, all those, all that whole sequence. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: huh? they, they weren't the biggest voices in it. You, you okay. and I go look for people like them, the big voices, and I can't even remember, their names are not popping in my head. I have a lot wow. of them in the one more feedback book. But they were primarily physicists, ast, including astrophysicists. Right. And people, so,
1: yeah, anyway. And I'd love to come back travel. to feedback. Like, that's a case where I'm like, the whole feedback thing, I'm like, damn, because certain things like brainstorming, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm with that feedback. I'm like, oh,
0: Carol, come on. Can I just have a bit of feedback at you know, sometimes? No, I, I love and it, I it love doesn't it. exist in nature. <laughs> there is no feedback in a living. There is no one system that says, I've got to shut that off. I'm getting too much. No, that's an inability to see that there is an interactive dynamic. It's like the mycelium, except it's happening everywhere, where things can communicate without having to do it directly, like physics tells us, and are able to have conversations for a system to be whole. But humans, you know, we've forgotten our role in it and we've forgotten how it works. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and
1: to me, what excites me about things like permaculture and your work, you know, the regenerative paradigm, all that work, it's to me, it's crafting a pathway or a portal back into nature, which isn't, you know, it's like, I'm sure you write about this, but so often the process we use to try and weave ourselves back into the thread of the rest of nature, the process itself, itself is the very thing that, us apart in the first place right right well and there
0: are suddenly i had a really interesting experience i mean this whole idea of living systems and regenerative both are such hot words i've been using them for almost 45 years and the concept that's behind them and everybody is adding i wrote a paper a paradigm paper on the regenerative paradigm send it out and i said what i want to do is show how what regenerative? The way I'm working on it is from a living systems view. That makes all the difference. I the next week, literally, all the people who received that paper, their websites added the word living systems to it. Like all oh, we have to do is name it that, right? It'll be there. That's it. I I did. I, I will. I've done a talk. I think it's on Omega Institute's website. I could find it if it matters. Looking, and I was sick as a dog, so I can hardly remember what I said. But there were four different paradigms of quote living systems. And what it meant was different people are using life forms. Like biomimicry is not a living system. It is a fragmentation and an actual use of nature. It's not trying, you know, how you can wash something the way nature washes. Well, there's no such thing. Because everything that cleans doesn't, even in a, one watershed compared to another, I call them life sheds. See, watershed's another fragmented idea. That's a life shed. The minute we do that uh, kind of use of something and genericizing it, it's no longer about living systems. There's no generics. Although you know Aristotle and a few other folks tried to create topologies which could put everything in a box. Nature doesn't work that way. It absolutely in no place with humans, animals, biota works so that there's a generic description out of which you could create the right kind of boxes.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Love to... Yeah, we'll go in all sorts of different directions here. So maybe I mean I'd, I'd love to bring the, the your perspective, as I m- mentioned in, in the you to this chat to to look at permaculture and also this idea of making permaculture stronger. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean just a real quick comment on biomimicry. I, I feel very similarly, and a, a, a big a big part of where I'm coming from is you know, because permaculture is also about mimicking nature or creating nat- nature mimicking systems. It's like what, but what. It, what does that involve mimicking if we're mimicking the outcomes? So if we're taking the shape of the, whatever Kingfish's beak and using that to design the front of a train, you know, it's like, that's that's a tiny fraction of how exciting this can get what would it mean to mimic the the process you know the actual way that nature creates these outcomes you don't even
0: want to mimic mimic by its definition is not a living system nothing mimics anything else right. what you do is you look at what's the essence of it and how it works so you look at uh, let's talk about a um a wetlands you know so i've got i know people who are trying to mimic wetlands well You can't mimic it by its functional aspects. If you want to understand it, and analogies get you in trouble, metaphors get you in trouble, because you try and force something so it fits. We have to learn to go look at an individual human, an individual wetland, an individual life shed, an individual farm or agroforest, which is within a context of those other things, and look at how it's working. Not try and mimic it, not try and borrow, not try and uh, use as an allegory, not try and use any parts of it to please us, but learn to, sh- to activate the mind that can watch this unique, well, let's, uh, let's do it at a level people can usually grasp it. If you said, I have a child, my first child, firstborn, was so amazing, they did so unwell in school, I'd like to mimic for my second child what they did. And what I'm going to do is go study all the things. I'm going to come up with the criteria of perfect child, and then we're going to make sure we teach that to child number two. Um, And we will work on any specific problems that show up of child number two who can't do what child number one did. Uh, I mean, it breaks your heart even to hear me go through that description, right, to think about that poor second child and actually that poor first child who somehow is now supposed to be the perfect child. What you want to do is understand what's the essence of child one. And their essence is something that's at a very deep level that if that went away, they wouldn't be themselves anymore. It has nothing to do with what they do or their grades. So it may be like I have a grandson that is – Powerfully smart, and he is very connected. But what is the essence of Max is really his ability to be totally present with a complex idea and to understand what's feeding and fueling people's interpretation of that. Now, that's just amazing to me. He's 19 years old, and he can tell you how because he's always interested in everywhere he goes. Now, I don't want to copy him and make his little sister have that powerful idea. Her way is to be able to express with her body that which her heart feels. And she does it in everything. If you can't see that essence, you can't engage with it as a living system. You're engaging it with a set of generics, which are like certifications, competencies, they're all over the world.
1: Thanks, Carol. I hereby pledge to delete the word mimic from my vocabulary. Great. <laughs> and uh, as you talk, it's not, it, it is the wrong word. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, I don't know. No, what it's it, the
0: wrong idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the idea I have when I think I use that word inappropriately is around, what did you say? Re, what would you say, Carol? Repartnering? Like, like learning from? You know, no being in process no. as nature is in process, how would you put it?
0: What you just did is made us separate. Learn from see, that's the other problem with biomimicry. Yeah. Us and are separate. Yeah. We're not yeah. nested at any moment. You have to regenerate it every moment time for each person wherever they are. So you don't want to you don't want to look at any one thing and ask what can I learn from it? That's a metaphorical study. What you want to do is look at the living system you're embedded in. And you want to understand at this moment in time with this system, what is my role? What is my work? How is this system working? How can I support and give and engage? How can I receive what it is that's mine to receive in this process? So there's not partnering is not even a good word Mm -hmm. because it's role in the system. Uh, One of the things that also drives me crazy is people talking about I'm trying to figure out my life purpose. You know what I say to them? You do not have one. (laughs) You are a human being who has a role in a system. And it's an egotistic idea that I personally have a a purpose. Now, I'm involved in things that have purpose, and I have a role in supporting those things. And I may be a part of a community that has uh, some purposeful activity, but there's no in-state purpose. It's like purposeful means making the system as a whole work. And even this is hard to talk about, right? Does it kind of make you crazy when you try an image? If I can't talk about that, me partnering, then what are you saying? What can I say? And eventually I make people so nervous. They say, well, I know you don't like this word. I said, no, I don't like the idea. It has nothing to do with the word. Right. And you know, it's my job to destabilize, to disrupt so that people have to question and, and, Become curious about learning about a way to think about things. And of course, I mostly do that with companies. You're trying to do that as a permaculture uh, practitioner. When you go in, people say, Well, I'd like the color red here, and I would like a certain color thing. And you're saying, You know, well, have you even noticed how the water moves here? And whether, and that if we get rid of all animals, and you want me to do this in a way there's no animals around. The system can't stay alive because it depends on the, and you think they're crazy and they think you're crazy. Well, they do the same thing, except usually I can find a handful, dozen, two dozen, four dozen over my lifetime, folks who get what I'm talking about and they've never been able to be understood in the world around them, or they've never been able to make sense of the craziness that people had about how they ran businesses. So we get to educate everybody in the organization. And I've done that with DuPont i have done it with seventh generation with uh so large and small that process for me is is about making the business work well because business is very powerful but i really work on building the capacity for living systems consciousness in every person in that organization every member in their family I do the podcast, The Business Second Opinion, so people can see how I think when I look at the insanity. And I examine Harvard Business Review one article at a time, taking a living systems view and showing why and how crazy we end up designing things because we have the wrong mind, this old crazy mind that's used to fragmenting and thinking like a machine and and was educated and probably was a high achiever, did really well in school because they were able to do that fragmented work. But they're not much used to whole systems. No,
1: beautiful. Yeah, I, I did have that consciousness going into this. Was like, well. oh shit, it's not like I'm going to get off the hook. Carol's going to grill me, and, and I felt a little fear around that. But also the deeper excitement. And now, okay, now I want to just good. keep going and get as much out of this as I can. Now I'm not going to give up more- though. I'm going to, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have one last attempt at getting to something <laughs> to see if you're okay with it. So I'm down with that. We're not the futility or the, the wrong ideaness of talking about mimicking nature, even learning from nature, even partnering with nature, because it all implies exactly as you say, that prior separation. of. Oh, yeah. What about this, Carol? Rebecoming the nature we already are. Something like
0: that. We aren't nature. <sighs> We aren't nature, we are a part of a living system. There's nature, there's human, there's biological. The minute we equ- people say we are nature, I say no we're not. We are in a nested system, and the minute we think of ourselves as nature, we're back to trying to, how, what could we learn from bees? What could we learn from ants? What could we learn from forests? Well, as far as I know, humans have their own work to do. If we're off studying those, it's like not much different than studying rats. Uh, now, those beings are extraordinary beings, but we want to understand how it is we work with ants, with insects, with biota and the process that's in the ground, and what is our role in making that work? And that's part of your job. Mm-hmm. Permaculture, if I had to define what I think perm- permaculture is about, and I talked to Joel Glansberg and Tim Murphy and Ethan and all those folks about all this all the time, the work of a permaculturist is to actually have humans get re-embedded in a living system, not in nature, nature is embedded in that living system also, and to understand that everything in that living system has a role to play. And if we're watching it all, but it takes a long time to actually see it, we keep doing what you're doing, wanting to learn from it, partner with it, do good things for it, okay, there's another big challenge. So we have the machine paradigm, we have the behavioralist paradigm, and then along came the humanist paradigm. And the humanist paradigm is when people started saying, well, I wanna do less harm, I wanna get over just the less harm, I wanna do good. I would like to introduce you to a few hundred thousand native peoples, indigenous peoples, and countries around the world where well-intended humans came in and said, We want to make your life better. We're going to separate your children from you. and We're going to put them in schools, not let them speak that old language and make them learn to speak English, learn them, have them learn to be a Christian person. You stop wearing those clothes you're wearing. And all of that was done in the name of doing good. Every bit of it, every colonization process is in the name of doing good. Every taking over of every piece of land, peace, there's no peace. So you have to catch me, stop me, I can't use the word peace. Every aspect of a living system, we have to learn to be able to see it work and not think that it is our job to do something good. And the environmentalists, you know, and I'm using that term intentionally, saw that sometime back, like in the 80s when I was watching environmentalists and PETA, you know, to stop the misuse of the animals, all trying to do something. But the problem was that they weren't actually, they were, the way they wanted to do it was stop humans from interfering. Because they could say, oh, yeah, the problem is humans don't know and they can't know. Well, that's not true. They can know and they have an obligation to learn to understand all this. And if they can learn to understand and see it, then they can be in the process with it but they are never about supposed to be doing good. So when I hear, I often say to people who are in the sustainability movement and other uh, circular economy, all those, those are about doing less harm. Let's just reduce, reduce, reduce the impact. That's, if we go back to our children as analogy, that's like saying beat our children less, you know, then make our children healthy. So the process of learning to be able to see these as living entities, which we are engaged with, and not our job to do something too, and not our job to run away and do nothing for fear we will do harm. It is our job to learn to have a mind that can see life at work, and what role humans play in that process. All right, there's one of my tirades on one of your words.
1: Yeah, beautiful. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to sit with that. That's pretty much everything else you've said. It's like, I feel like I I can grasp it at least, you know, and it'll take some time to catch up with it. But this idea that we're not a part of nature, that nature is embedded in the living system and we're also embedded in the living system. Yeah, I guess I'll just take some time with that, but I'm yeah. grateful for that prompt.
0: Yep, back to me.
1: I will, I will. Yeah, I'll follow you up on that one for sure. Now, I'm quite keen to get into the tangible reality of, okay, so we're, all of our listeners right now, including me, is one of them. We're, we work as permaculture design consultants. So we walk right. into a property. There's some people there. We're encountering a land that has been made a piece right it's been piece, it's been right. partitioned out by fences and these people um and we're warden to support them on their journey of developing this landscape and one thing i thought it'd be useful for me and, and listeners to to explore with you is applying the way you'd approach coming to understand that living system or things like going through existence what gets presented to you which includes the problems that people will tell you about going through that down into the essence and then moving from essence to potential, to development of potential, to, you know, so, so on up through the, these, these regenerative principles you, you talk about. And I'd love to explore this idea of how you th- think about parts and wholes. Ho-
0: there
1: are no parts. But <laughs> I paused so you could say that. Holes <laughs> but
0: within holes. Nested okay. holes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, really, I'd really love to break that open with you. That excites me. So there's a couple of perspectives, and I feel like you, you would have an affinity for some version of them, possibly not my wording of them, but I'd love to, to see how you think of it. So one of them is this idea of nested holes. And Arthur Kostler and the idea of a holon, and the idea of a holarchy. There's nested holes all the way up and the way down. Yeah, it is. Perspective on that. What do you think about holons and holarchies?
0: no. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it's not they're not true, but we're misapplying. I mean, people misapplied it to business and made an absolute mess out of it. Uh, I do believe it's better to think of as holes within holes, because often what people do with hole-ons is they actually begin to look at parts, and they say it's a hole-on No, it's part. No, well, there's no such thing. So I think it's a trap that people have taken something out of physics. It works when you work with lasers. And again, the metaphor obviously gets in the way and gets us in trouble. So not a big fan, but I'm a great fan of the idea of nested holes. And the reason is that it forces the mind to keep understanding the hole in which something is embedded. And if you do that, you're keeping it alive. The minute you have a hole on, you have most likely made it not alive. In holarchies, for the most part, right now the way it's being used—not the way Arthur Clark meant for—not—not not Arthur Clark. What's his name? Creator of the idea of holarchies. Kosler, Arthur Kosler. Arthur, right, Kosler. had the right. I had an author. Um, the way it's being used right now is to create a generic set of things that flattens everything, mm. gets rid of bosses and stuff. I've never in an organization got rid of bosses. I radically invite them to change their role and educate them. And suddenly they're playing a role and it has nothing to do with power. My most recent podcast, which will be out tomorrow, which you can go listen to, is saying that part of what happened is it's not that humans, well, a guy named Jordan Peterson says hierarchies are natural. And I argued in this podcast that he's right, but completely wrong about what he means about it, because he's saying we as humans were designed just like lobsters and everything else to be stacked, some are more powerful than others. It's actually an inability to actually understand the concept of hierarchy. Hierarchy is actually an ability of the mind to see at different levels of complexity, which is what we're talking about here. So if I go to a wetland and I look at a watershed, or let's go to a a new lovely ranch that someone just bought in New Mexico and invited you into new permaculture, that exists in a life shed, which exists in a larger life shed. And that has a history. I mean, I always start with what's the story of this place. It's why I always bring in Joel and Ben, and but story of place, because that makes me go look at, in a deep level, the geology, the hydrology, the biology, the settlement patterns, the economic patterns, the cultural patterns. Now I'm, all of those things are patterns, right, which have to do with life at work. So if I get into the idea that I'm trying to flatten everything, I'm back into a flatland view, which is very easy to fragment. And that's what I see people doing. So I love holes within holes because it mandates that your mind see each of them alive and working in an interactive dynamic. Mm, let's
1: tell me what you think of this, um, Carol. You've used the word aspect as, a, as a, an alternative to
0: piece part, fragment. It's not an alternative. It's a different window. It's a different idea. It's not a thesaurus. You yeah. want to know the difference? Sure. So, it, you know, the facet in a ring has to do with how the light hits it. It doesn't break up the ring, and an aspect is the same kind of thing. It's a facet. It's an ability to see through a different door, and the more windows you look in, the more you're able to see it. Part breaks it away from the whole, and now it's not alive, uh, and so n- not working. So it's not a substitute. It's literally a different mind at work. Mm. Yep. We appreciate got that it. one.
1: Yep. And
0: hard to you do start? an
1: interview with me, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. But it's a beautiful nightmare. <laughs>
0: Good. And,
1: I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm up for this sort of stuff. I love it. I'm not feeling like, oh, like I'm, 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 Good. I'm made to look like an idiot in front of Carol. Like, no, this is great. you're I'm, not. I'm, te- I'm, take, is I'm, a, I'm taking no a hit idea. for the team. <laughs> Historically, aspect was also a verb. So aspecting was something you could do. Right. I use this in my work where aspecting is to see in the whole, to see in system.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: There we go. All right. I thought you'd like that.
0: So that just made up for all your behavioralism. (laughs) And the study of chickens.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pushing red and green buttons. Now, this is the other perspective, and I'll be really fascinated to see what you make of this, because on the one hand, you talked about the problem with metaphor and analogy and and laser stuff from physics. On the other hand, I know that you're a fan of, um, or at least you refer to the work of David Bohm and the Implicit Order, that stuff. Right. a big influence on, on me is a, a guy called Henry Bortoft, who was not only a student right. or a junior colleague of, of Bohm, but also of John Bennett, who in turn was a student of Gurdjieff. And one of the ideas that I've been getting value from in my work from Bortoft, and just pardon my use of the word part, just we, we can unpack it. I'll in let you go with it. Great. <laughs> so I talk about moving from a representational to a holographic way of perceiving a system. So in right. the past, you run into a site, and as a permaculture designer, the idea can be like, I've got to run around, I've got to map every tree, every water flow, every da And when I understand all these parts, then I can assemble a picture, and then I will arrive at an understanding of the whole. What well, Bortoff says, no, that's complete, a, there's a different way of, he's influenced by Goethe as well, where contained within each, let's say, aspect of the whole okay. is information about the whole. And so right. if I sit, if I get into a relationship with this tree, which sits within this 100-acre farm, this tree there's a lot of information in this tree that that i can learn about the whole. and one of the most beautiful examples of I'll, I'll share a couple just quickly one is tom brown jr the tracker right. who, who i think of because i've heard you talking about your time with your your grandfather at the age of seven right,
0: right he taught me tracking only i didn't know that's what he was doing
1: yeah i've seen john brown jr walk up to a little patch of grass and put a stick next to it and, he, and then to explain that this was the track left by dingo t- two days ago and so he's looking at an aspect of the situation and then he'll proceed to tell you the the gender the age the which way it was looking where it was injured the the fullness of its bladder you know all that stuff so he's he's reading a lot into the hole from this little aspect and then David Holmgren the co-originator of permaculture who I tag along with on reading landscape excursions sometimes similar sort of thing he'll pick up a rock you know a little rock and hold it in his hand and that like it's like the whole the way i see it following bortoff's language the wholeness of this site something of the deep wholeness of the site shines through or twinkles through that that rock and kind of whispers it it to him and and it's like by encountering these aspects in this way rather than just an audit or or, or whatever uh, it's it's like you're inviting or you you're more able to let the site reveal its secrets to you so I wanted to see what you made of all that.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's an inherent problem for most people listening to what you're saying. And it's the same thing. I I don't know whether you know Mark Moray, who's also another tracker. Yeah. But he's also in a part of my change agent groups that Ethan and Joel and Tim and all these guys um, hang out with me. One of the things that happens is people think you're actually getting it from the rock or the piece of scat are the adding up of all this stuff. You are not. The mind, and I know this from watching my grandfather, the mind was not about the particular pig that we were talking about. It was about seeing that pig in a living system, seeing its ancestors, seeing its progeny, seeing exactly what that piece of land was. And so the it's like a Star Trek, where there's a holographic Thing that comes from it, but most people, when they hear you say and read Bartov, they do the same thing. I haven't read Bartov as much, although I've got some folks in my group who are someone to to go back and reread. But I think that this idea that the thing holds the answers to something is a misrepresentation of the process. It is being able to see the dynamic interactions in different space, different time. The sense of eternity and how that had to be playing out to be there. So if you think you're going to go study ro- a rock and understand a planet, then you're back in the old fragmented mind. You're not in a living system mind. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it does. Yeah, but it's great. So yeah, it's and it's great to hear that that conversation is happening because I, I I sense there is real value and Bordoff was pointing it, but it does. It's this. Yeah. I mean, it, the other thing that resonated with stuff you say. You talk about imaging something in context and Bortoff draws on Goethe's idea of what he calls exact sensorial imagination, which is to understand something. You go through a process, sometimes you actually will do a sketch I think, but it's, a, it's about imagining in as much detail as you can in your mind and this idea of imaging and how that um, can kind of open up the dynamic reality of the thing you're encountering and, and help you get out of this idea that, that the world is primarily made up of static objects that occasionally move around right um which but it's beautiful to be able to sort of crash test some of this stuff against you because I'm, I'm yeah not,
0: so here there's to, another uh, thing about and some of the a little bit of the problem i have and, and i i know bartop does too and Bohm had the same problem is languaging what you can see in your mind with a western world which is an alphabetic language is basically impossible yeah. And so you have to write long sentences. You have to use metaphors. So people, I have to go to a child. I used to go to human metaphors when I'm trying to teach just So I don't get people off on looking at rats and leaves and things, but just think of the term sensorial imagination. Now, I don't use the word imagination for the reason that it is mostly made up of fragments which people put together and project into some kind of future. I use the word imaging because it means you have to watch it alive and moving. I also don't use sensorial because it's not the senses that's doing the work. If it were, then we'd have eyes that actually saw what we need to see. You know, our eyes pick up and see it in a pretty static way unless it moves. We have to, in the mind, be able to image it in a dynamic form. So I'm pretty much on board with Martoff, except for I think the language would be better if it were uh, interactive, dynamic imaging than it were sensorial imagination. Mm -hmm. Because I think those are different level of image, uh, are different level of um, language and meaning and energies. And when I teach people how to think and how to look at their own thinking and how to learn to watch what their thinking is doing, what it's producing in their mind and why it's causing fragmentation. And languaging is one of the most important pieces because it actually, unfortunately, fortunately, takes us askew. There's one other thing about Western world language, which gets us in a lot of trouble. Um, And I... I, I bet you if Bohm had had this idea, I would have loved to have had a conversation about what he thought. We now know that Western world languages, most of them anyway, have, are future tense based. We're always talking about what the future will be, long term, getting out to somewhere, goal oriented. Whereas Asian ideographic languages are present tense based. Now, that doesn't sound like a big thing, except, It means you can live in the present and you're not always trying to project to the future. So for example, in my world, you can translate this to permaculture if you'll help me. I say strategic planning, what is it? People say long-term thinking. I said, no, has nothing to do with long-term thinking. Strategic thinking is how do I be here? How do I engage now in a way that this could work the way it needs to be working? And I do that today and then today and then today. Because it's that process of getting over the future tense and getting in. And we know as a result, the Chinese who are present tense thinking, believe it or not, they have safer sex than all of us in the Western world. They save more money. Uh, They tend to not get into debt because they don't have a sense of that. They've got to do something for the future. They say, nope, got to do it now, right now. So all of those things compound, and we got off on that because of Bartov and.
1: No, uh, that's. I love that. I'd love to come back to that. Yeah, look, in my pitch, d research, I really went into this whole thing, and I mean, it's 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 so hard, because it's, it's like you're trying to think your way out of fragmented thinking with a thinking apparatus that's fundamentally built on in, in the whole idea of subject verb object. So it's like before you can even have a verb, like a precious right, denoter, right. You need to come up with a friggin' subject to make it happen. Right? So Whether right. there's a subject
0: or not. You yeah, gotta, you have to, have to say
1: to the leave. river is flowing, or right. it it is raining. It, it, it is it, raining,
0: right? Yeah, when yeah. Is
1: yeah. That's now right. all of
0: these so, are problematic.
1: Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it's oh, I, I, I I I love this statement I read years ago from Quine, which was ontology recapitulates philology. You right. Know? Yeah, the the structure of the reality as we understand it is actually a reflection of the way our language has sliced it up right but coming back to this idea of fabricating versus generating yeah and we'll see how we go we I think it'll be fun to come back to the idea of essence and encountering a landscape and some people in terms of practical insights for permaculturists but uh, did I just I just said fabricating versus generating what I meant was what you were just saying this idea of being in the present and that's a huge thing that I'm grappling with and working with is that just the power of this idea that we sit down and we intellectually think about a plan for the future and then we impose the plan and how that completely destroys your ability to be present and to do the right thing as opposed to
0: see things alive because now they're dead they're on a plan and we're implementing a plan
1: killed it you've destroyed it before you even start exactly yeah and and i i I don't know if you're aware of the work of the radical architect christopher alexander but from him oh yeah
0: i went to berkeley oh wow yeah and i also i was at berkeley with thomas Kuhn. Who, wow. that wrote the surprise I mean I'm old and I was there with those guys and Christopher was still younger but uh, yeah no I know Christopher Alexander I don't know him but I know of him oh, at yeah. so
1: well I mean like, he's I would he's probably the, the primary inspiration on a lot of my thinking in my work and one distinction I've gotten from him is between fabricating and generating we're fabricating is upfront planning master planning right been effectively opposing it and he says that because no one can predict even the reality of how a building is going to get built let alone a living system it's impossible to know you know and and so to try and plan it up front means that what you're building you, it's fragmentary and it has to be full of mistakes so any master plan is effectively a big assemblage of mistakes that you would right. then try and, uh, impose on the world as opposed You'd to be
0: better you if you developed a set of principles yeah. and concepts and then went to the place and began to understand how you join with what's there
1: Hundred percent, yeah, and that's what he means by generating is the alternative. So, right. how do you in real time? How do you generate by being deeply present to what's going on here and now, yeah. and then honing in on what's? How do we transform the situation toward life, towards yeah. beauty? And and okay, we've made the move. Now the now the whole thing is
0: different. It's different. Okay, what? And and just that's why back you to have that, to it every moment because its aliveness is different than it was before. Exactly. There, yeah, it's not it just perfect pattern that you should yeah, be following. Yeah.
1: Hundred percent, yeah, and I, I love your talk about because the thing with Christopher Alexander, he wrote a book called The Pattern Language, which people inappropriately interpreted as another set of things to assemble. And I
0: know.
1: It, they're, again, they're imposing patterns or following patterns rather than generating patterns.
0: Right, and, and being that's a pattern seekers. Right, right. Yeah,
1: and that that's a huge part of what I'm aspiring to in my own work and work in permaculture, and and you know, it feels like we're moving in healthy directions to bring us back to that beautiful space, which of course is enlivening for us because we're here, we're present, we're growing and and becoming more alive. The people we're working with are going in that direction and the, and the, the place itself is on the move also. And it's so, it's so much easier and more, and it's so much more fun. And, and part of it is getting away from the pen and the paper or the computer screen and you're mocking things up and, and testing things out. And you're also um, decentralizing the process itself rather than it being the domain of these these experts that come in. And I'm the permaculture designer. I'm going to tell you what to do for the next time. So you
0: time. just said a word I realize I don't like and I'm trying to think why and what it means. I think I know why. All right. Decentralizing.
1: Okay. So...
0: All right, so we just we take something which was supposedly central and we put in lots of Caucasian. Of course, that's seen as a positive idea right now. You decentralize yep, yep, work. Yep. But what it actually means is fragment for the most part, and it means not understand the essence so that each thing that is an aspect of that whole could work from it. I gotta go do a podcast on that. I gotta go look up what is going on with this idea of decentralizing. I think it's not a good metaphor.
1: Mm-hmm. but I can't
0: argue with you at the moment except it doesn't feel right.
1: Oh, that's good. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't, can't complete the blow or whatever.
0: No, but, can't, uh, but you've made me curious. I'm going to go play with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. What, what was I getting, just going back to what I was getting, what I was talking about moving away from the idea of a design expert who comes in and does the design for you, right. where you effectively outsource the decision-making about your life and the way that your life is going to unfold in this place. These days I construe my work as not, I'm not a design I'm not a permaculture designer, I'm a design process facilitator, where I'm going to support you to, right. to to hold this process, because it's your process, and it's the very process of, you know, one of these fundamental human things of being part of co-creating your own house, your own home, your own place, and the point being that at some point I'm going to leave, because I'm a, I'm a consultant that's coming from outside, and if I've left you with a pretty plan you don't really understand, you're effectively screwed, as opposed to, if I've left you with with the beginnings of some sort of process literacy that lets you be in the present and unfold from your own essence toward your own potential, then, I mean, that's a whole different thing, right?
0: uh, I'm doing a a new book I mentioned a moment ago called The Regenerative Human, Mm. uh, which is related to what you're saying just now. The the Regenerative Human represents nine nodal roles on a planet that humans play that if they do it regeneratively, society would work almost without fail. And one of those is designer because everything gets designed at some level, even if it's a split second before we're engaging and we have a way of thinking. And wh- I describe what I think is the essence of each of these nine roles. And it's an action learning project. I would invite you and anyone who hears this podcast to reach out to me at carol at carol and look at maybe getting involved in this action learning project. For example, the designer, which I don't know how many listeners you have, but whatever number they are, if they're in permaculture or they're in any roles designing for other people's use, they need to know what the essence of that role is. And it is not doing for someone, right? It is about articulating in a way that is totally transparent or or visible what an essence-to-essence connection is. The essence of this place with the people at this point in time in a stream of things that have been happening, which have an essence of the story of this bigger place. And it's your job to really bring that present. And even if that's running a meeting, somebody hires an event planner. It's understanding this essence to essence connection that brings to life the story of this place. And I'm engaging with people so that they go try out a set of things I offer they go see how it works. They come back and listen a little more. They go out and try again. Then they send me a story. And they either end up in one of my books or one of my podcasts or my trash can if they can't write it in the way I can use <laughs>
1: That is so great. I mean, I've I've hung out with Bill Reid and Joel Glansberg, who you've mentioned, and Joel's coming over in a month or so, we're going to make some trouble together. And so I've had some exposure to this idea of essence to essence relationship. And after doing a workshop where they were both there a couple of years back, I brought that layer to my work, where in the past, I've been doing something similar in terms of trying to get to the the depth of what what are you really about as the people? What's your essence? And also the landscape. But they gave Mm -hmm. me the realization that sometimes you can even go deeper than that. You go to a place where it's just like... That's right which is phenomenal to get, and, to get there. And
0: the other thing is you can't ask people what their essence is. People can't see it. They haven't been taught to. Yep. You can, but it takes decades again of changing the mind. But it's there are ways to do what I call essence light discovery. You get a taste of it. And if you can hang on to that taste, then you can play with them in this deeper connection to the place.
1: That to me, I think, is probably one of the most useful things in terms of practical I'm not so practical tools. It's so much more than a practical tool. Yeah, it's not very
0: practical. It's not tool, but yes, otherwise,
1: <laughs> you're right. uh, whatever it is, you know, for permaculture yeah. designers. So, you know, yeah conscious of time frames and stuff, but I don't know if, if you've got a little bit longer to go into that a little bit, like this idea of fathoming or, or, or whatever, articulating essence in a, in a practical way, which, which...
0: Yeah, so I don't try and describe it to people. I do it with people okay. because okay. it's not describable. And right. the minute you get people with words, then they start trying to make it a doing. And it is not. It is an ability to see something. It's tracking of the human psychology of an individual. And so it's like trying to study a rock and think you can understand the whole human being. So I don't try and, if you want to know how to do essence dances, you come join one of my communities where we spend long periods of time getting really, really good at that, including all the guys who are doing Story of Place, all the ones you just mentioned. They're still learning to do that. So what we do in community. So sorry, I'm happy to talk about anything else for another 15 minutes, but not trying to explain people and have them magically think they've got essence, and they're now going to add it to their order of things they can do for people because they will be full of words I can't say on here um, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know I love it I love I really re- yeah, respect and love that response it reminds me of this experience I've had sometimes where I'm doing my best to try and articulate what I'm calling a living design process <laughs> sometimes we get towards the end of the workshop and people are like Dan you know you're trying to get this thing across just give us the the, the document yeah, yeah give yeah. us the template so we, we can remove what we currently do and just drop that in its place right um, or
0: worse they added on
1: yeah yeah that's right
0: yeah, yeah. it's like bolted on to the side and now i'm doing that horrible stuff i used to do plus this wonderful thing you described but i've refitted it so it now fits inside of my old horrible stuff yeah so, and,
1: to, and with the doing stuff too like that doing being distinction that it's, we're not right. talking about just a, a different take on some of the things you do we're exploring a fundamentally different way of being
0: and, and i don't want to imply to people you can't learn to do this mm. you can But you have to let go of that it's a list you get, a template that you get. I even got an email yesterday of a woman saying, I think there are techniques I'm missing. And this woman's studying with me. I think there are techniques I'm missing that I just need to get a handle on those techniques. And I said, if you work on the techniques, you will never learn what I'm talking about. Because then you'll think you've got it down. There's this technique and this technique. Now, you gotta work on your mind. But it's very doable, it's very exciting. We got a couple hundred people working on it many, many days a year because we know we need each other to do it. You need to be in community to change the mind at work.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe one time we could come back to at that front is on that front is this idea of feedback because there's a little part of me, like a lot of it's like, I'm with you, I get it. But There's a little part of me where it's feedback's probably the wrong word, but it's more like what you were just talking about, what becomes possible in community where sometimes I'm in spaces where it's just like people holding up a mirror to me. It's that kind of experience that helps me understand myself more deeply. And sometimes they talk about what they're doing, and I talk about what they're doing is giving me feedback, but is there, is there something in there that you, that you use?
0: that No, that's a substitute for your capacity to see yourself. Right. And now we do have mirror neurons. And so if those are developed and activated, we can see people sometimes in a way they can't see themselves. But the problem is we have to get rid of all of our ego. It, one of the pieces of research I did for this book is just to find out what, uh, psychology today reports on a series of studies where people went and looked at the 360 degree and the supervisor performance review, all of those processes, and they report that 87% of what people give as feedback to other people is a projection that belongs to them. So that's not very useful because in it, when you look in the book, we'll talk, there are talks about six major things that break down, one of which is that the mind, when it hears from outside, especially when it's been conditioned behaviorally, it starts accepting that as, oh, my God, and that sounds horrible. and Or or it's equally bad if it sounds wonderful as a projection of what I'm really good at and how amazing I am because it creates something in the mind that also happens in the machine, which it comes from, which is it creates runaway. And what I mean is the mind that heard something that was upsetting starts to try and figure out, oh, my God, is that true? What does it mean? And they wake up. It's like on a treadmill trying to process it. And if it is a good, positive thing they get in their feedback, then what they do is try and keep re it. What did they say? I gotta go look that, up. I gotta read that again. Oh yeah, oh, that's what they said about me. It's the mind that is no longer paying attention and learning to assess what my effects are as a living entity in a system. I am now only externally driven. So it evokes what I call external locus of control, So the control is out there, it's in you, and internal considering, which I worry about it. Now, let me give you one other really bad piece of news about feedback, besides that it is 87% projection. The other is that it is so filled with bias that it is why we cannot solve our political problems, our gender uh, discrimination, our uh, uh, racial misunderstandings, is that all of that is based on conditioned cognitive dissonance and the cognitive biases. So they're now identified in the book. I put eight of what I think are the biggest ones that make feedback not work, but there are over a hundred biases that the brain bends toward. None of them make feedback work. The only thing that can learn to prevent those things, the bias the projection is the capacity to see our own mind at work and seeing what it's doing. And it takes a while. It's like, we have to learn to get outside of ourselves and watch and say, Oh, look what I just said. Oh, look at the effects that's having. Oh, look at where did I get that from? My goodness. Look at how that's driving me. That's it's the personal development. Everything we've talked about in this hour is useless unless we're working on the personal development, the human capacity to be able to see our mind at work. So feedback, is the opposite. We literally have a toggle in our brain that cannot listen to other people and listen to ourselves uh, at the same time. We tend to, because we're conditioned now, to get the behavior, right, the rewards, the recognition from outside, and we've never developed the internal capacity. We default to the external and we shut off the ability to do it internally and we raise our children that way from the day they're young we teach them what they should do what is right and wrong we don't ask them the question how did that feel what happened to that child when you did that how did you feel when they did that to you we don't develop that capacity for them to learn to see Hmm. so i i know a woman just wrote um Lovely five-star review on Amazon for an overall feedback, and she said this book is really amazing. It shook me up, but I don't agree with any of it. There's (laughs) got to be something good about feedback somewhere, because how would we ever see ourselves? And I thought I sent her back. I said, "Did you read the book, or did you try to review?" (laughs) Yeah, that's that's
1: that's great. Yeah, so the yeah, quite a quite a clear answer there to my question is like, can I just hold on to five percent or ten percent? And and really about yeah, it's increasing awareness. And realizing that an an addiction to feedback can basically... You want to
0: hang on to 5% of feedback?
1: Well, I mean, I've been in situations, for example, where there's been three people opposite me. We're doing an exercise and I snap into as if I'm in a workshop and I present for a minute or two. Then we stop. One of them will say, try saying the same thing, but just at half speed, which to me sounds ridiculous. It's like, you know... Okay. It's not do it. Okay, okay, good. That's that's what I was talking about.
0: So there are two things we do. The inability of us to be self-managed is a capability problem. We need to build that. The second is that anything other people gives us need to be seen as reflections Mm -hmm. that come through their life experience without any certainty that has anything to do with what you just did. Yeah, yeah. So if people would say to you, well, I can share what my experience was. Or I, I can give you a reflection, but I have no idea whether I'm right. We've just stopped the feedback. We just literally stopped the runaway in the brain. Yep. That's not feedback.
1: Great. Beautiful. You're that, relieved,
0: right? Take a deep I'm breath. So relieved. All is good.
1: That is what I needed to hear from you. Thank you. You're <laughs> welcome. Yeah. yeah. Like I was saying, so much of the other stuff, I've, I mean, in, in addition to the stuff during this podcast that you've, um, I don't know, just destroyed or something, or, 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 or pointed <laughs> undermined, to...
0: Probably undermined, probably, a little bit. Let's You're say, yeah.
1: Working. Doing what you do as a contrarian and a, a, a disruptor, you brainstorming and other things—it's it, like, yeah, totally get it. And I, that in permaculture, that can be a thing. Effectively, we're going to do—we're going to look at what exists. We're going to basically do some brainstorming. We're going to come up—I mean, this—it actually gets to this point. I know people who do this. They say we're going to come up with four different options for the client, yeah. and the client can pick this part of this option. That, and we'll then we'll bring those together, and 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 then we'll sell that plan. Which to me is, is this is enormous. Tragedy in terms of what—it's perm- a
0: terrible tragedy. Permaculture's wow.
1: essence and what permaculture is here to do. Oh man, I'm—I'm I'm realizing we're about to wrap up, but that was a whole—that was a whole thing. Hopefully, I can talk you to another chat sometime. I'm myself exploring this question of what—what well, is permaculture's essence and potential right. in the world? How do we unfold that? How do we develop that? And so on. That's what I'm really excited it's
0: to teach us as humans to play a role inside of a living system that we understand and can contribute to. Can you say that again? probably not oh no don't worry
1: i'm recording this i can get it later
0: (laughs) okay it was what i felt as i was listening to you i think you have an educator role permaculturists have an educator role which is very powerful about having people learn to see something alive in this place so the problem with what you just described is people doing four different plans is all of those are completely abstracted from the place Mm. and the story that is in that place and the humans that are in it it's all generics. I, I've got a template I can shuffle. And now, okay, pick what you want, mix and match. There's nothing about that that has anything to do with life. Yeah, 100%.
1: All right. Far out, Carol. It's almost like, I don't know. I feel like it's like uh, you're someone I'd have to have five conversations with just so we could actually clean up the language enough. Or maybe it would just, maybe, maybe this would just continue indefinitely. I don't know.
0: Yeah. There's no way to clean up the language. It's lifelong. Ask anybody who's worked with me for 25 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember those lines from Ethan.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. right.
1: But yeah, well, I mean, I'm conscious of time. and I don't want to um, use up. Yeah. These. Of your precious I,
0: I got to go to dinner with some friends, but this has been delightful.
1: Oh, thank you. It's it's been delightful for me also. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'll link to all your stuff and you know, your books. Great.
0: I would and love everything. for people to come join the Regenerative Human if they want. Tell them how to get a roll, hold of me. Yeah. Really, we're the business second opinion. is growing like crazy. Share mm. it with your friends. Mm, mm, um, I Yeah. Yep, love to have yep. all of you connected. Thank you yeah, so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for what you're doing and creating this space, this medium. I'm certainly even more motivated to to continue tuning to what you're up to, and hopefully at some point actually. Yeah, get across and hang out. face. Yeah,
0: well, I have some local events down in your part of the world, so we really? ought to talk about that.
1: We ought to talk about that. Yeah, maybe you can yeah. send me some links, or I'll look them up, or whatever, and I'll certainly link to those.
0: I'll, I'll send you a link
1: on the show notes. All right, thank you so much for your time, Carol.
0: You're welcome. All right, catch you later. Bye.
1: Bye. Wow, wasn't that a fantastic conversation? <laughs> wow, <laughs> like she was fully keeping me on my toes during the chat, but listening back to it, I gave it a once over got rid of a few ums and stuff. Just lovely to feel the, the lively energy of it. And I so appreciated having that degree of attention to the ways I, I phrase things as an indication of how I think about things and this process of slowly by slowly transforming our worldview, our, the way we think, out of mechanical uh, reductionistic uh, frames. Now I'll have a links to various websites and, and stuff that Carol's part of. She's written think, four or five books. what is it It's the, there was the responsible business, then the responsible entrepreneur, the regenerative business. more recently, no more feedback uh, and she talked on the podcast about how she's shortly going to release the re, uh, regenerative human, which I'm excited to get my hands on. Her main website is carolsanford.com. And I'll link to a bunch of other uh, websites, including the events she talked about happening in this part of the world. Now, general news, making permaculture stronger. Uh, It's feeling great. Energy's high at the moment. I've got a whole lot of podcasts, uh, interviews booked in. The next several are actually with colleagues of Carol's. So it's going to be cool to have a theme of exploring this living systems thinking regenerative design paradigm. For the next little while, I'm excited to be bringing the series of posts on the chart, the generative transformation stuff, to a close shortly and very excited about the the posts that are going to follow that, that are going to introduce making permaculture stronger. Phase two, which is a whole new clarity of focus on where we head to from here, inspired in part by Carol Sanford's work don't forget that i've got a patreon page now so anyone that's out there that's getting real value from this and your own permaculture work and life and and whatever feel free if you so desire to to track that page down and contribute financially to, to this whole project and well i think that's about it i thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you in episode 20 goodbye for now